0: We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel.
1: This morning's scripture can be found in Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus... Set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if... Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you.
0: Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. It feels wonderful standing behind this pulpit. Wonderful. It has been 40 plus weeks since I have preached here at Emmaus, which is the longest I've gone without preaching in about a decade. I've spent the last six months on a writing leave, granted by the other pastors of Emmaus, focusing on working and writing on my dissertation. The topic that I've been reading and writing about for what seems like countless hours over the last six months is the beauty behind the truth that God does not change. We call this the doctrine of divine immutability. And I must say, writing on the changelessness of God in 2020 made the truth all the more beautiful as it felt like our worlds were changing every day. So if I could offer you one encouragement for my writing leave, it would simply be this. In God's changelessness, there is a bed of rest for weary souls. So, thank you. Thank you to my fellow pastors who granted me a writing leave, and thank you uh, to you all for giving me time away to kind of focus in on my dissertation. I love and appreciate you all a ton. However, I'm back. And not only am I back in one of my favorite places in the world, the pulpit of Emmaus Church, but the pastors also made this Sunday extra sweet by giving me a simply stunning passage to preach. A stunning passage to preach. I get the joy of continuing our series through the book of Romans by opening chapter 8. Now, It would be hard to exaggerate, and I mean this, it would be hard to exaggerate the superlatives heaped up on this chapter. Throughout the history of the church, God's people have loved this chapter, and for good reason. Many have even dared to call this the greatest chapter in the entirety of the Scriptures, Allow me just to read for a moment a few examples of people doting on Romans 8. The reformer, Martin Luther, once said of Romans as a book in the whole, that Romans is the chief part of the New Testament, and it is the very purest gospel. It is well worth the Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it every single day. If the Bible were a ring, Romans would be the gem that enhanced the ring. And Romans 8 would be the brilliant splendor that emanates from the ring. That's one. Here's another. In a sermon titled, (coughs) The Greatest Book, The Greatest Chapter, The Greatest Joy, John Piper once said of Romans 8, Romans 8 is so dense and so constant with good news... Good news that is so great and so glorious and so vastly superior to all other good news in the world, whether health good news or family good news or church good news or job good news or political good news or international good news or financial good news, so vastly superior to all other earthly good news and so relentless that you can scarcely feel the full force of it until you take virtually every verse and restate it for the good news that it is one more another contemporary writer notes this <clears throat> which we'll talk about this in a minute the turn from romans 7 to romans 8 is one of the most exquisite most wonderful and most ecstatic turns in literary history okay that's a big claim there has been a lot of literature produced Romans 8 is widely considered the greatest chapter in all of the Bible, and while it seems odd to set any portion of God's inerrant word as better than others, those who are familiar with the chapter know the spirit behind the claim. He continues to write, Romans 8 is a well of deep, crystalline healing water for the parched soul. Book ended by wonderful truths that there is no condemnation for those who are united to Christ, verse 1, and that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God. Verse 38-39. to All of the material in between is worth studying for eons and eons. I dare you to meditate regularly on Romans 8 and not feel like more than a conqueror. Verse 37. Simply put, this chapter is stunning. And here we are. At the apex of beauty, Romans 8. So here's how I want to go about the first 11 verses here. I want to give you a road map. So if you're a note taker, this is exactly where we're going. No ambiguity. You'll have the road map in front of you. I want to break Romans 8, 1 through 11, down into three sections. Section 1 is going to be called One Glorious Sentence. And that's going to be verse 1. Section 2 is going to be called, How the Glorious Sentence Came to Be. How the Glorious Sentence Came to Be, and that's verses 2 through 8. Section 3 is going to be called, The Hope of Future Glory. And that's verses 9 through 11. While you're at that down, I'm going to grab my water because I forgot it. Thanks, my love. Section 1, one glorious sentence. Section 2, how the glory came to be. Section 3, the hope of future glory. Section 1. Romans 8. Begins with one glorious sentence. It's hard to imagine any other 13 words in the English language strung together forming a more beautiful reality. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My word. I don't know about you, but this sentence is not only glorious, but gloriously heavy. It's heavy for me, at least. The concept of there being no condemnation For someone like me, it's hard to believe. See, because I know my sin, right? Moreover, I have developed this terrible skill of becoming my own accuser. And I know there are people in the room who resonate with me here. On my worst days, My mind can become a feedback loop playing over and over and over my shortcomings where I usher in all of my worst features, all of my worst failings. It can feel sometimes like my life is a court case and I'm my own prosecutor bringing forth evidence after evidence of failure. And here's the thing, I'm good at it. Like, I I know myself well enough to know where my deep insecurities and shortcomings actually are. And so when I bring forth arguments, they're convincing. I'm good at this nonsense. I have a terrible tendency to join the devil in his work of being the accuser. And when I become overly self-reflective, of course I fall short. If you remember last week, Paul wrestling with his own sin exclaims in verse 24, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what I resonate with. I resonate with 724, not Romans 1. Romans 8.1, wretched man that I am. That makes sense of my story. Yet yeah, it is into, don't miss this, it is into that dark prison of Romans 7 self accusation, self guilt, that the gospel beam of light of Romans 8 breaks in. My friends, it is into that chaos. Of our falling short, the Lord speaks a better word. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just let it fall on you. Have you been a bad parent? Have you struggled as a spouse? Has your discipline gone by the wayside? We're like two weeks into January and you've already given up on your Bible reading. Has there been chaos in your mind? Has 2020 brought you to a low place? Are you weak? Are you heavy laden? Are you coming in this morning to this service, not with cool assurance, but with trepidation? Hear the word of the Lord. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It really is amazing that 8.1 follows chapter 7, isn't it? It really is amazing. Moreover, it is a rather inconvenient place for a chapter break. You lose a bit of the weight with this chapter break because only the gospel narrative can take a section of literature like Romans 7 which says, I only do the things that I don't want to do and I never do the things that I want to do and conclude there's no condemnation. Only the gospel can make that kind of flip. Reflecting on these two chapters being side by side, Charles Spurgeon once said, the fact is, believers are in a state of conflict, but not a state of condemnation. And that at the very time when the conflict is hottest, oh, wretched man that I am, the believer is still justified. This is the first sentence of this chapter. My goodness, this chapter is good. Emmaus, I pray that these 13 words become a grace-laced dagger that runs through the heart of your self-accusation. I pray that as you are tempted to live the Romans 7 life of, oh, wretched man that I am, like gravity, you're pulled back into the grace of Romans 8.1. And Emmaus, would you believe it? Believe it better than I do. Like actually believe that your condemnation is gone. No more. How freeing would that be? How joyful would that be? How glorious would that be? Indeed, this is a glorious sentence. Section two. How this glorious sentence came to be. Verses two through eight. I want to move into our second section and see the story behind our condemnation being removed. And this story is a wonderful one. Let me read 2 through 8 again with, and re, re, follow along with me. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not to submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What we see in verses two through eight is that the glory of your condemnation being taken away does not happen by God just turning a blind eye to your wrongdoing. Right? The good news is not that you do not deserve condemnation. The good news is that the condemnation you rightly deserve has been taken care of. We see actually the hideousness of our wrongdoing in these verses. Our transgression, the very act of removing the condemnation that our transgression brought. Call on God sending his own son. If that doesn't speak to the hideousness of sin, I don't know what does. The cure for sin was the murdering of Christ Jesus. And it is in the sending of that son, Jesus Christ, that we have the redemption from our condemnation. We saw in Romans 7 that we have not in us what it takes to properly follow the law. In fact, one of the primary messages of the book of of Romans up to this point has been Paul explicating what he mentioned in chapter 3. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. However, God has done what the law could not do. The law was sufficient to demonstrate our frailty and it mirrors for us the reality that our own actions and our own efforts of obedience make a pathetic savior the problem however is not in the law no the law comes from god and everything from god is good and holy the text says the law was what weakened by the flesh So the problem is not the law, it is the flesh. That is our flesh. In our flesh, we were unable to follow the law of God and therefore brought deserved condemnation upon ourselves. Yet, God saw our helpless estate and he did something about it. He saw our helpless estate weak in the flesh and he did something about it. He sent his only begotten son, Christ the righteous, who took on flesh and came, according to our text, in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. So don't miss the progression here, okay? Keep the story together. Our passage starts with the glorious truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, how did that happen? It happens because in his grace, God saw our inability to abide in the law by the power of our own flesh. And so he sent his son to take on flesh on our behalf, even though, according to verse 4, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. God condemns not our flesh, but his flesh. Oh, man. Your condemnation was not simply swept under a rug, it was atoned for in the flesh of the second person of the Trinity. Are you kidding me? Like, this is crazy. We've preached the gospel, I don't know how many hundreds of times here at this church, but it just simply doesn't get old. This news doesn't get old. In my flesh, I was weak. In your flesh, you were weak. I should have been condemned. But Jesus in His flesh was perfect and should have never been condemned, let alone never even taken on flesh. That shouldn't have been His burden. And instead of getting the reward for His perfect life in the flesh, He takes our condemnation. And instead of us getting condemned for our wickedness in the flesh, we take on His reward in Christ. So, how can it be true that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? It is because your condemnation was paid for in the condemnation of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, don't, mi- don't miss that it mentions that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who what? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8 has a lot to say about the Spirit. We've already seen it in verse 2, right? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The next few verses in this second section go on to describe two different paths of life. A life according to the Spirit and a life according to the flesh. How can you know your condemnation has been paid for in the condemnation of Jesus? Well... You can by asking yourself if you walk in the Spirit, not the flesh. This means, according to verses 5 through 8, that you set your mind on things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh. For setting your mind on the things of the flesh leads to death, while setting your mind on the things of the Spirit leads to life and peace. So then the mind is not an unimportant asset in the Christian life. It must be taken captive and set on the things of the Spirit. The life of the mind still walking in the flesh is hostile towards God, we read. And it does not, indeed it cannot, submit to God's law. Therefore, in verse 8, we read that those who are in the flesh simply cannot please God. Had he not taken on flesh, fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law on their behalf, we would still be slaves to the law of sin and death. And this, Emmaus, is why we are so adamant about being a gospel people. Apart from the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, we cannot please God, nor can our neighbor's. They must hear the news that they are a lawbreaker and yet God delights in saving lawbreakers. Comparing life and slaves to the law and the free life of the gospel, there is an old Christian saying. It's been attributed to John Bunyan. We're not really sure if he was the one who wrote this, but I think it so well captures the difference between life under the law and life under the gospel. It says this, Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. For better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Section 3, the hope of future glory, verses 9 through 11. In verses 9 through 11, the last section of our passage, we see the reality of verse 6 play out. Verse 6 told us that the mind set on the things of the flesh will lead to death, but the mind set on the spirit leads to life and peace. And in verses 9 through 11, we see here <clears throat> that for those who have the Spirit of God dwelling within them will indeed have life, even in their mortal bodies. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul broke the news to us that the wages of sin is death. And so when we read what is behind Romans 8, that we are dead apart from Christ, we should not be surprised. However, here he tells us that for those in the Spirit, while our bodies might be dead, the Spirit gives us life. And and can you see this? This dichotomy being presented over and over. In the flesh there is death. In the spirit there is life. The same spirit, he even goes further and emphasizes it like this. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life also to our mortal bodies. And this reality, we see the hope of our future glory. Remember, this passage started out by declaring there is no condemnation for who? for those who are in Christ Jesus. You better believe I'm not gonna preach this passage without mentioning union with Christ. Those who have been united to Christ by faith now suffer no condemnation. They're in Christ. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law on their behalf and now they are hidden in Him such that when the Father sees them, He only sees the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled because they are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Those who have been united to Christ by faith suffer no condemnation. That's the glory of Romans 8.1. But it doesn't stop at verse 1. As you will see with the rest of Romans chapter 8, the beauty just keeps building and building and building like a snowball gathering more and more snow as it goes down a hill. Romans 8 continues developing until it turns onto, into a full-blown avalanche of God's grace and glory. And we get a taste of that here in the final sentence of our passage. We hear of the Spirit raising Christ Jesus from the dead. His resurrection. We learned that from verse 1, we are in him, such that he is now our fountain of life, and hear me, where he goes, we will go. When the Spirit of Christ raises Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies. Sam mentioned the idea last week of this theological concept we call the already not yet, right? You Already have been saved, yet you are not yet fully rescued from the, the repercussions of sin. And don't miss this. Romans 8.1 gets on the already, right? It says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The eschatological realities of Christ defeating sin and shame and death and guilt has Now, consequences. It is now that you have no condemnation. We have already been saved from the condemnation of our sin, yet we still struggle with our sin. So while we've already been saved now, according to Romans 8.1, that now will collide with the not yet in Romans 8.11, as it depicts for us the day when the already and the not yet become one, and we are raised in Christ Jesus, the righteous the one who paid for our condemnation. So let me me land our time this morning with two pastoral charges. Two brief pastoral charges. One for those who have not yet trusted in Jesus and one for the believers in the room who have trusted in Jesus by faith. First, for those who have yet to trust in Christ, who have not yet clung on to Him as their only hope in life and death. Let me show you something again in verses 9 through 11. I want to show you one vital word that shows up in 9 through 11, and that word is this, if. That word if shows up three times. Look at it with me. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You see this? This if is making two different classes of people. Those who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them and those who don't. And all of these glorious realities will be true if you are in Christ Jesus. But friends, hear me. If you are not in Christ Jesus, you are still under the bondage of sin and death. And you therefore walk into the room today riddled with condemnation. So my pastoral charge to you is simple. Cling to Jesus by faith. Be united to the Son today. You need not make yourself better. You need not bring anything with you. He is the one who makes a way for the wayward and he is the one who invites you to eat without price. Believe in Jesus by faith and move from death in the flesh to life in the spirit. Second, to the believers in the room, I plead with you, I beg you, believe and live as if it were true that there is now no condemnation for you. Just, would you dare to believe that? Those nights when you lay your head on your pillow and the accuser comes, may you look to the throne and see the merits of your high priest and say, I'm in Him. There is surely no condemnation for Him, and I'm hidden Him. May you believe it. That man, Christ Jesus, took your condemnation in the flesh, and the Father's righteous wrath was poured out on it as He hung on and dying a traitor's death on that Roman cross. He took your condemnation and condemned it. In your place He stood condemned, and in doing so fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. For those who have trusted in Christ, you walk in here this morning as a free man, as a free woman. So be free. That's my charge. Be free. Be free from your condemnation. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit, and revel in the One who paid the price for your freedom. Treasure Christ and cherish his gospel. When Christ rose from the grave, he left your condemnation in the tomb. Emmaus, you are free from condemnation. Let's pray. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information
1: about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.